financial feminist the financial feminist Feminist. Yeah. Welcome to the Financial Feminist Podcast. I'm your host, the Financial Feminist, and this is our global news podcast, taking a more global outlook on feminist wins making the news this week. I'm recording this from and acknowledge the Gadigal of the Aurora Nation, which for international listeners is acknowledgement of the traditional custodians of the land I'm recording this episode on. And in doing so, I pay my respects to elders past and present. Our intention with this international episode is to cover stories making news across different parts of the world, to acknowledge wins and learn from what's happening across different cultures and countries as part of a more intersectional approach to feminism. Let's look at the global feminist news this week with me, your host, The Financial Feminist. Our first story concerns one of the biggest decisions in life, specifically, whether or not you want to have a family. There's no right answer to that question. It's an individual decision. But for many, it's a decision that once made isn't necessarily an easy path forward. Put yourself in Margaret's shoes. Margaret, who shared her story with the BBC, in a report we've linked in the show notes, had been taking fertility drugs for about 10 months and was days away from her first appointment for IVF, in vitro fertilisation, when one court decision paused everything. On Friday, an Alabama court ruled that an existing law, wrongful death of a minor, covers not just fetuses in the womb, but embryos held in a lab or storage facility too. Specifically, it ruled that an existing law that covered the wrongful death of children was extended to frozen embryos used in IVF, which are held in labs and storage facilities. The decision has meant that many IVF treatment providers have paused and suspended their treatments, and they've stopped because the ruling opens up so many questions that could open them up to prosecution, including whether all embryos stored in labs, and perhaps not used during IVF, need to be kept indefinitely. This is a feminist issue because it removes your right to choose whether or not to have a family by removing access to an existing treatment option. You would think that the pro-life movement would seemingly be celebrating. But even the Alabama pro-life coalition president, when speaking to the BBC, both described it as a win philosophically for the pro-life movement, but that they also supported IVF, so it's not necessarily straightforward. That might be the heart of this issue when it comes to the pro-life movement, Campaigning for the right of cells is one thing, when those cells have a heartbeat, but where do you draw the line? And in what point do you, in wanting to protect life, deprive it of ever existing because of a blanket campaign that's perhaps driven more by feeling than by reason? Depriving someone of access to a treatment that's readily available and has been approved and used widely, that simply doesn't pass the feminist pub test. This decision also has some very real financial consequences. Regarding IVF costs, and you'll know this if you know anyone who's ever been through IVF, in America, an NPR report shared that a typical IVF cycle can cost between $12,000 to $24,000 US dollars. Added to that is thousands in medications used to support the IVF cycle, and then transferring a frozen embryo, which costs between $2,000 to $6,000 per transfer. In short, it's hugely expensive to participate in the IVF process, and even then, there's no guarantee of leaving the IVF clinic pregnant or with a baby in nine months' time. The legislation also adds a financial levy to the providers, including whether or not they'll need to store those embryos for eternity, 
Will they need extra insurances? And those cost to providers will likely be passed on to the patients, making IVF something fewer people can afford. We'll be watching this closely because it is an election year in the US, and who Americans vote for in that election will impact other decisions, including Supreme Court appointments. So what can you do? Well, what you can do is ensure that decisions like this one in Alabama don't impact the fertility rights of women and other people who are seeking to have a family where you live. Decisions like this don't happen in a vacuum. They happen when cultures of us versus them are created, and we forget the very real humans at the receiving end of decisions that are being made. And really, if you choose it, having a family should be something that we have the technology to make happen and the means to improve that technology over time to make it more financially accessible. And we should protect that to ensure more people are supported in that choice. For our second story, a question for you. Have you ever been so angry at fashion that you've threatened someone for wearing a dress you don't like? That's what unfolded in Pakistan yesterday, and the immediate safety of the woman being threatened for her fashion choice was secured thanks to the brave intervention of a female police officer. Al Jazeera reports that the woman was wearing a dress with Arabic calligraphy that the crowd mistook for verses from the Quran. She was accused of blasphemy, and the Al Jazeera footage shows her cowering in a restaurant in the hall as 300 mostly men gather outside, shouting at her, filming her, and not allowing the woman or her husband to leave. What stands out from the Al Jazeera report is a Pakistani police officer who is negotiating directly with the crowd and managed to secure the safe escort of the woman from the restaurant. Police later posted an online update clearly showing the dress design and clarifying the phrase wasn't from the Quran at all. It actually said halwa. In Arabic, that means beautiful. A BBC News report credits Assistant Superintendent Saida Shabano as a police officer in the footage, and she shared that authorities have seen a mushrooming of incidents similar to what unfolded. It's a feminist issue because a woman was directly threatened for an assumption, and it's also a feminist win because it's a female police officer who secured the immediate safety of another woman. She takes a direct role in negotiating with the 300-strong crowd, in then explaining what happened in an online video posted by the police to clarify what happened. The chief of Punjab police has called for her to receive an award for her bravery because of her actions that have been reported on and captured in numerous news reports, including those linked in our show notes. It becomes a financial issue of employment and why inclusive hiring is so important. Because when it comes to issues like the public safety of women, this story highlights why having women in positions of power and authority like the police is so important. It shows how the inclusive hiring of all genders can ensure you have people in positions who can work effectively to manage public incidents like the one that unfolded in Pakistan. Crowds like the one that gathered in this story can happen quickly anywhere in the world and in all societies. Rumours and conjecture can spread quickly, particularly on social media, and outrage can quickly spiral. But what matters is having a diverse range of people in positions of authority who can work quickly to calm situations and ensure that facts are clearly communicated. So next time you see a position of authority come up on your job search, consider putting your hand up. Because it takes all of us, of all genders and all backgrounds, working in community roles to ensure that all the community can feel safe. And if you're looking at amazing women to recognise for their bravery and community service, check out Assistant Superintendent Saida Shabano and her actions on that day and consider putting her forward. If you'd like to reference them, we've linked those news reports in our show notes. And finally, when is the last time you got truly invested in a film? With Hollywood Awards season underway, there's been one name I've been watching on the awards circuit. One, Lily Gladstone. 
Lily's performance in Killers of the Flower Moon is outstanding in of itself, but her win on the weekend for outstanding performance by a female actor in a leading category at the Screen Actors Guild Awards has cemented her in history. She was the first Indigenous performer to win that award in the category and commenced her speech in Blackfoot language. After also winning the Best Lead Actress in a Drama Golden Globe, it's very likely she'll be on track for an Oscar win this year. I flagged this because I think it's really important we recognise the feminist wins rather than the trend that's been happening this award season in focusing on who isn't nominated. A Guardian editorial we've linked in the show notes highlights how we've been focusing on how Barbie actress Margot Robbie wasn't nominated and neither was her movie director Greta Gerwig. Even Hillary Clinton tweeted about it and how Greta and Margot were so much more than Ken enough. Let me lay this out there. Margot is fine, Greta is fine, the Barbie movie took home $1.4 billion globally. In a cost-of-living crisis where many are struggling with the essentials, felt across the world and where in Australia, for example, there is a shortage of housing supply, I'm not crying into my cereal that some very rich woman, who made a good, funny film that I'd happily watch again, I'm not crying that they weren't nominated for an award. Financially, they're fine. In terms of recognition, they're fine. It's a feminist issue because rather than focusing on who wasn't nominated, We need to recognise that Academy Award history was made already when Lily Gladstone became the first Native American woman to be nominated for Best Actress at the Oscars. And yet, all we've been able to really talk about in the weeks around those nominations was Barbie and Justice. So let's refocus this to the wins. And speaking of wins, we're talking about financial wins. The financial impact of the award wins for Lily Gladstone are very real. The Wharton School at the University of Pennsylvania shared their finding that on average, when actors win an Academy Award, their salary goes up. Lily Gladstone stands not only to demand more as an actress in terms of salary, but also even through being nominated, she's in a greater position of power and influence to create more films that centre Indigenous narratives and hire Indigenous production staff and actors. Should that be something she wants to do, she's in a much greater position to make those changes. We'll be watching whether Lily will make history again at the Oscars on 10th of March. But in any case, she's already made history. She's already a winner. And it's a really good film that you should all go and see. I'm going to close today's episode with the words of Lily Gladstone in her Screen Actors Guild Awards award speech. Bravely keep feeling. And that humanises people. That brings people out of the shadows. It brings visibility. Keep telling stories to everybody in this room, to everybody watching abroad. Those of you who are not actors but have a voice, have a story that needs to be heard. Thank you for all the compassionate souls in this room and all of the storytellers here tonight. Keep speaking your truths and keep speaking up for each other. I hope I've added to your courage to do that today. If you've enjoyed listening and could leave us a review, that would be magic. I've been The Financial Feminist. Thank you for listening. And see you next time. Thank you for listening to the Financial Feminist. Come back.